Wisconsin's true home team is Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now featuring savings up to $2,500 off an installed patio door, up to $3,000 off an installed entry door, but only through May 31st. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Lots of ground to cover on today's program. Let us get started. During this hour of the show yesterday, we talked to the attorney for the Shorewood School System IT employee who has now been fired because he uncovered four employees who happened to be minorities, four black employees who at least allegedly were using school equipment to exchange what I think could fairly be determined as racist emails, and including, if the reports in the newspaper are correct, also anti-Semitic emails as well. So he went to the acting school superintendent and he reported this, and apparently the investigation, at least according to his attorney, has been pretty much of a whitewash, no pun intended, nothing happening to the employee who sent the allegedly you know, racist m- memos, but he has now been fired for telling other people about this, and there's going to be a lawsuit, and my initial reaction to this whole thing is, once again, the, the taxpayers in Shorewood, um, wokeness is going to cost you a ton of money once this lawsuit actually works its way through the courts. But, but there's another just really bizarre aspect of this. Now, one of the four black employees who, who's in a position of authority in the Shorewood school system, he's, he's gone to the, the paper to defend himself and to defend these these emails and these various references that were made to employees, including um, the, these are some of the terms, cracker, cracker, cracklin, white folks, white folks, white ladies, white devil, and minority Jewish. Those are some of the terms that, that that were used, and I don't know that there's any sort of denial that these these administrators were doing that in referring to some of their co-workers. So this is what the administrator says. Okay, and I guess I lump this into the category of, you know, when you're wrong, you know, be strong. He says, well, a quick internet search and a review of public comment at recent school board meetings will clearly show that the Shorewood School District, like many other school districts, has a troubling history as it pertains to racial tension, racial inequity, and racial hostility towards people of color. Okay, let me, let me just stop there. I would argue that the way to diminish that is not by having uh, black administrators refer to their white colleagues under some of these terms, but that's just me. He, the note continues, when districts are presented with an opportunity to address the way racism harms students, families, and staff of color, it is wise to use that opportunity to address the main issues, racism toward people of color, rather than attempt to demonize or patronize the ways people of color victims of racism may or may not cope with, respond to, and deal with the persistence of racism every single day. So in other words, 
we, we shouldn't worry about the, the whole concept that, in this case, school officials might be using terms that I think most average people would consider to be racist about some of their colleagues because it, it really doesn't matter. But then, then this is what really caught me, the follow-up to this. Uh, the guy adds in a phone interview. He calls back the pe- press and says, I'm commenting on, then, on this again to make sure there is a balance and a carrot counter-narrative to this story that somehow a white director, that would be the IT guy, is the victim of racism or the victim of reverse discrimination, whatever that is. There's no such thing that exists. There's no such thing that exists. So uh, apparently in the People's Republic of of Shorewood, the idea is there can be no such thing. You, You cannot have, I guess, black people that are racist. I, you, I, it just if that is what this guy means, and he called back the reporter to to make this point. If this is what he means, you you, you understand why there's all sorts of problems going on at Shorewood and other communities as well. If this is the attitude that that apparently exists, that well, okay, we are legitimately concerned with racism against people of color. But if you have people that are persons of color who are are responding in ways and using language that I think most of us would agree would be inappropriate in any sort of professional setting, but also inappropriate in particular when you know you have these racial overtones that are there who seriously apparently believes that well it, it is impossible for persons of color to to be racist regardless of what they might or how they might describe their colleagues if that's truly what they think in Shorewood well my my goodness it under it underscores and explains a, a lot of things that are going on there I guess my only response to this is is wow, just absolutely wow. When we come back, I want to talk about Joe Biden. I want to talk about the baby formula shortage and where we go from here. Stick around. As I mentioned earlier, if you follow me on on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've, I've been using, I've been trying to be more active on Twitter, especially since there's all sorts of stuff that I just don't get a chance to cover on the, the, the program on a daily basis. But the, there, there's a follow-up to something that we discussed yesterday, and it's it's credit to uh, Channel 12 because they, they they at least pursued this. It was, you know, a, a story that I think has been getting at least a little bit of attention. Tony Evers does not like to keep people in jail. That, that's just the, the bottom line. His, his, I think, orientation is we, we want to turn people loose. Um, one of the people that he appointed to, it's his parole commission. The head of his parole commission is a social worker out of, of Racine, former alderman who, um, state senator maybe, who takes the position that hey, we, we need to parole more people. Okay, well, that's, that's, that's all well and good. But the, the whole question is, what, what sort of people are we paroling? There's a guy who was convicted in 1997. His name is Douglas Balzowitz. He was convicted of murdering his then 23-year-old wife. He stabbed her 42 times in front of their two- and four-year-old daughter, in front of her, their, her two-, two- and four-year-old daughter. He stabbed her 42 times. Now, let, let me just, just tell you something here. The amount of rage and lack of control that you have to have to kill somebody by stabbing them including somebody who is defenseless, is, is absolutely amazing. It, it's just that this is, it is a horrific crime, and that is precisely what he ended up doing. He was sentenced to 80 years in prison. 
Back in 1997, the sentencing judge, Diane Sykes, who was a Milwaukee County Circuit judge at the time, she went on to be a state Supreme Court justice and is now on the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. She said, look, I, I, I'm, I'm giving you this sentence, and I cannot direct, I cannot force the parole commission to pay attention to this, but I am saying, sir, you should never be paroled. You should never be released. You should have to serve your complete sentence. All right? And he's sentenced to 80 years. Well, the Tony Evers Parole Commission, which for whatever reason has decided that they are on a mission to release what I would argue would be dangerous criminals, they're going to turn this guy loose on, on Tuesday. The family has been fighting this. The family has been saying, look, do not do not do this. He is dangerous. Our, our our mother, I mean, two of the children who are now adults, you know, we, we never had another day with our mother because of what this monster ended up doing. And you're going to put him back on the street after only 25 years, despite taking the life of this uh, woman at the age of 23. It is an absolute and total outrage. It's not the first time this has happened, but it's a complete and total outrage. So Evers, of course, has been like ducking this. And again, credit to to Channel 12. I, I've got a link. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. They, they go out and they find the governor. And they, the governor's apparently in town or something for one of his various, you know, appearances and stuff. And, and they go up to him in, in, in the lobby as he's, as he's walking out the door. And they say, hey, we, we want to ask you about this because I think a lot of people are wondering what do you know what is going on with your desire to see that dangerous people are released. And, and yet you can't let Evers feed the um, fade the heat. This is his parole commission. These are people that he has appointed to the parole commission who have decided there are too many people in prison, which is fine. But does that mean you've got to pick brutal murderers to release? So anyhow, Evers wants no part of this. And so you have the reporter. She's trying to ask him a question. He's got a couple of his aides that are physically blocking her. And, and his response is, it's the complete deer in the headlights look that, that you get from Tony Evers on occasion, just the, this like stunned look. And all he keeps saying is, I, I'm, I'm just walking out the door. I'm just walking out the door. Well, okay, if you follow me on Twitter again, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to this film clip. Um, my comment is, Tony Deer in the Headlight Evers refuses to answer questions about the early release of a convicted murderer by his parole commission saying he's just walking out the door, quote unquote. My comment, truer words have never been spoken. Yeah, he, he's walking out the door, and just like a couple months ago, Evers said he was too busy to meet with the families of murder victims. He's just walking out the door. Don't don't ask me why we're releasing dangerous sorts of people at, at all. I, I I I don't have anything to say about it. I'm just I'm just walking out the door. Well, yeah, he is probably just walking out the door. If you want to see this clip, and my guess is you will also see this clip in various TV commercials that are going to be running uh, in, in the fall, I would imagine, as Tony Evers tries to convince people that he should be re- reelected. But the, the response yesterday is, oh, I, I just, I, I'm, just, I'm just walking out the door. I, I have nothing to say about this. And all you people out there who might be concerned that a murderer, a brutal homicidal maniac is being released after serving, what, less than a third of his sentence because of my parole commission, well, okay, that's. I think that is a legitimate question to ask the governor. All right, let us switch gears. Big story, 
baby formula shortage. And for for many of us who, you know, don't have, you know, babies, this is something that I, I think has just been like off the radar screen. But one of the big problems now is for people who, who do have infants, there is there is an epic shortage of baby formula that that is out there to the point that you you now have huge concerns and people who are trying to maybe make their own formula, they're going to stores, they can't find it. Now, some of this is, of course, again, just due to the, the you know, supply chain shortages that we've been hearing about. Some of it is due to people who are hoarding. But on the other hand, you know, unlike toilet paper, in this particular case, you can understand when the stores are empty of baby food formula and they're saying they don't know where when when the baby food formula is going to come in, you certainly understand the temptation to hoard. But the biggest, at least in my opinion, contributor to the baby food formula shortage is is back in February. Um, there, there are most of the baby food, uh, the baby formula that's that is consumed in this country is produced in this country. There's, and it's one of those situations where the in normal times the demand for baby formula is pretty static. I mean, there's you know the, the population goes up and down, but it's not like all of a sudden under normal circumstances you're going to have a run on on baby formula. So the ability of these various plants to increase their production is kind of limited because again, for historically there's been they, they know how much baby formula you need. Well, what happened in February is one of the facilities. Um, Abbott Labs, they have a, a plant, a factory in Sturgis, Michigan, that makes this um, Similac formula. And, and this one plant produces somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 40 percent of all the baby formula, which is consumed in the United States. The FDA in mid-February shut the place down because there was a concern about whether or not some of the formula coming out of this particular plant was contaminated because a couple kids got sick. Now, to this day, Abbott Labs maintains that, that there, there's no problem with what we're, we're doing. There's no, if there was contamination, it did not come from our plant. But the FDA has had this plant shut down, well, for, for about three months. Okay, which is causing part of this problem because all of a sudden you have one of the major manufacturers of baby formula that now isn't isn't able to produce stuff and there's no sufficient replacement. And so now you have a crisis. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, here's what the real problem is and here's where I think it is fair to criticize government officials. When you have a major plant that produces a third or whatever of the baby, the infant formula that is consumed in the country. Obviously, you want to make sure that that's safe. God, I understand that. But wouldn't you think that this would be a priority to getting that formula out there and figuring this out? Is there a contamination problem at the plant? Um, is there not a problem at the plant? And if there is a problem, don't we want to make it a priority to figure out where that problem is at the plant so we can get it corrected, so we can get this production again? But yet it has been allowed to linger for several months now. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, 
part of this is just the general economic conditions. I understand that. But part of this, I think, lies on the FDA that essentially closes down a major manufacturer and does not prioritize trying to figure out if there is a problem with that plant and then how you get it back operating again. 855-616-1620. And if you have had, if you know people who have been dealing with this baby formula shortage, I'm sure you can sympathize with what a big deal this really is. We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. Jeff, this is a very scary situation. I have a nine-month-old at home, and due to medical reasons, my wife was not able to provide breast milk. My son has been on formula since he's been born. Thankfully, he's transitioning over to solids and drinking less formula. However, he still needs it, and when it's hard to find, it can be very, very scary. Jeff, once again, you are the voice of reason. Thank you. Um, Either the production plant is safe or it isn't. Yeah, see, that that's, look, I understand that when it comes to the government, some stuff is out of everybody's control. I get it. I respect that. But part of this crisis has been caused by the FDA forcing the shutdown of the plant that makes 30 to 40 percent of the baby food formula, of the baby formula in this country. They shut it down in February, saying that they were concerned that there might be contamination, that the company maintains that, that that's not the case, that, that there's nothing wrong with the plant. But this has been going on for months and months. You, you would think that this would have been a priority. Figure out, is the plant putting out contaminated baby formula or, or not? It, but it, it goes on 90 days, and meanwhile, you have this huge shortage. And now, here's the problem. It's going to, this is not going to be a problem that goes away anytime soon, because Even if the FDA were to snap its fingers and say, you know what, we were wrong, we don't think that there's any contamination coming out of this plant, it's still going to take X number of weeks to ramp up production and start getting the stuff on the market. You – if – This is, to me, just an incredible lack of foresight, not realizing that, hey, if if we shut this down, and look, if they're producing contaminated formula, obviously you want to deal with that. No argument with that at all. But there needs to be a priority to figure out okay, you know, what? what is it? Is it a problem with the plant? Is it not a problem with the plant? If it's a problem with the plant, let's figure out what that problem is. Let's fix it. Or if there's not a problem with the plant, let's let them get back to business instead of what they've done to so many people who depend on baby formula. We're from the government. We're here to help. I don't think so. Waterstone Bank and WTMJ Steve Scafidi are once again partnering to recognize the heroes in our community. Police officers, firefighters, health care providers, and countless others help every day to protect our families. They're the first on the scene when critical accidents and unfortunate events occur. Do you know a first responder who deserves recognition for their duties? Well, Head to WTMJ.com and make your nomination now, and you really do need to hurry. The nomination period ends today. So today's the last day for nominations. If you've been thinking about, you know, contacting us and giving us some names, today's the day to do it. It's Waterstone Bank's Salute to Service on News Radio WTMJ. All right. Another day, another series of fatal shootings, including Young people, of course, we had the story of the, what, the 15 and the 16-year-old who were murdered in a gu- in gunfire last over last weekend at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on 49th and Hampton outside of McDonald's. You've had other stories of shooting. The latest report is Milwaukee police investigating three fatal shootings from Wednesday, including one that killed a teenage boy. Um, 
not, the, the boy is either 14 or 15 years old, um, four homicides in a two-day span. Uh, the, the mean streets of Milwaukee just continue to get meaner and meaner. Milwaukee's homicides currently, they're at 74 compared to 55 on the same date in 2021. And of course, in 2021, we, we broke the all-time record for homicides, and this is not a record that you want to bro- break for the second straight year. And on top of that, so you have you have younger and younger kids that are being victims of, of all the gun violence, the, the homicides, etc. It's just almost staggering. And of course, you have the repeated number of, of crimes that are being committed, the number of auto thefts, as we talk about frequently, over 10,000 last year. And the estimates are that, well, about half, maybe more of than half of those auto thefts are committed by juveniles. And part of the, the problem we have is that nothing is done to the juveniles. You want to, if you, and we've talked about this on the program, I know a lot. You talk to law enforcement people and they will just express their frustration. It's the same kids over and over again who are stealing cars and then in many cases leading the police on high speed chases. And the truth of the matter is nothing happens to those kids. Nothing, unless and until they run through a red light and hit and kill somebody. Then then it gets to be significant. But otherwise, it's just this giant game where we turn people back loose, back on the streets over and over again to commit crimes. Okay, so the problem, and whenever I discuss this, I mean, some of the blowback that I get is, Jeff, you're, you're absolutely right. Yes, I mean, juvenile crime, absolutely out of control. Yes, you're absolutely right that there's no accountability. But the argument I hear is we have no place to put them. We're trying to get out of Lincoln Hills. Lincoln Hills was the, the detention facility for the really hardcore juvenile offenders. You know, these are the people that have committed these very, very serious crimes. So, okay, we've we've got that. And because of problems with that facility, there's been an intention for the last six years to try to close down Lincoln Hills. Okay, you close down Lincoln Hills, though, you need to have some place for the juvenile offenders to go. Now, here in Milwaukee, there's a, a there's a detention facility, but it's limited to like 25 people or something, which is just, I mean, I mean that's, that's a good weekend when it comes to juvenile offenders in the city of Milwaukee who should, in fact, be incarcerated. So some of the blowback I always get about this is, you're right, we shouldn't be turning these people back out on the street. We understand that, you know, we've, we're not punishing people at all, but we have nowhere to put them. So there, there's an interesting story in the local newspapers talking about how, okay, now there is apparently a commitment to you know build a facility here in southeastern Wisconsin in particular in Milwaukee because the argument is look if if x number if the largest number of out of control juveniles are are in this area southeastern Wisconsin in general and the city of Milwaukee and Milwaukee County in particular it makes sense to have a facility to house them you know in in Milwaukee and, and that I, you can't disagree with that. So the, the states come up with this plan to uh, put a lot of the hardcore juvenile offenders in the Felmers O'Cheney Correctional Center, which is northwest of downtown Milwaukee. But the problem is you've got all sorts of groups, including the ACLU and Lena Taylor, who's the state senator from Milwaukee, who are objecting to this because they're saying, okay, we're already using the Cheney Center for adults and we're helping adult 
men reintegrate into society. So you, you don't want to take away from that by putting the, the juveniles in there. All right, our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, here, here are two points. First of all, I think people are sick and tired of the juvenile offenders. And the idea that, well, we don't want to send them to Lincoln Hills and there's no place to send them, that that just doesn't pass muster anymore. You've got to get these juvenile offenders off the streets. You've got to start holding them accountable. And if that means you have to build a facility in Milwaukee County to, to house them, I think most people would say you should have done that two years ago. This should not have been all this you know, fooling around. Secondly, the idea that we're going to delay building a juvenile facility for the next three or four or five years while we have these arguments about what is the best place for it, that's just not acceptable. I mean, I don't care where you put it, but you've got to build it, and you've got to build it about, like I say, you should be opening this now. You should have opened it two years ago. We cannot allow this surge of juvenile crime to go on. And if you're trying to find a place to put this, huh, I'm thinking of some space on 76th and Brown Deer Road, this um, moonscape that used to be this great shopping center, but now it's just dead and there's nothing going in there. Huh, Northridge might be a location for this. Kind of conveniently located. People can go out and visit the prisoners. 855-616-1620. Isn't it way past time to stop all this, this dilly-dallying, get a juvenile facility built Get a juvenile facility built that's big enough to house all these different juvenile offenders, and then let's have the judges start sending them there. And like I say, if you're looking for locations, I think you could do worse than Northridge. 855-616-1620. I mean, it's not like Boston store is coming back. What do you think? Okay, here's the other aggravating thing for those of you who are trying not to have your heads explode on a Friday afternoon going into a great weekend. Here's the deal. Lincoln Hills, which was supposed to be closed down, well, about a year ago, still isn't isn't closed down. All right. It's not. But but here's the the other deal with this. Judges are reluctant to send people who desperately need to be behind bars. They're reluctant to send it out here. And here's the other deal. The cost of housing youths at Lincoln Hills has nearly doubled. I hope you're, you're sitting down. Okay, per person per day to take a juvenile criminal, it costs, it used to cost $615 a day, all right, for $615 a day. Now, I don't know now because of all the inflation stuff, but for $615 a day, you can stay at most of the finest hotels in the country. If Okay, I, I'm a big fan of Key West. Love Key West. It's my happy place. Although, whenever you go to Key West, be prepared to spend stupid money for hotels. The nicest hotel, in my opinion, in Key West is a place called the Pier House. The Pier House, okay, before the pandemic, that's about what it was to stay there. $615 a night to stay at the Pier House. It costs as much. It costed as much to stay at the pier house as it would to take care of some juvenile offender. All right, things have changed now. It no longer costs $615 a day to house a juvenile offender. Know how much it costs? $1,154 a day. $1,154 a day. 
you can stay. You can stay at the presidential suite in a lot of hotels in big cities all across the world for less than $1,154 per day. The idea that we are paying this much to house juvenile criminals is absolutely absurd. It is completely and totally ridiculous. So here's what needs to happen. What we need to do is we stop we need to stop dilly dallying for better for you know for better words about you know where we're going to build a facility you need to build a facility and you need to be starting construction like a long time ago because even at the best case scenario it, it's going to take a couple years but unfortunately I've seen this before you're going to have all this chattering class that are going to argue about well where should be the location and we want it here or we don't want it there or or whatever now I'm throwing out the Northridge site I understand some people might say oh that's that's terrible I don't know but regardless it's got to get done and it's also got to get done and figure out a way to do it for less than $1,154 a day. Right now, to house a juvenile criminal, it costs about $420,000 a year. $420,000 a year. Now, I understand you've got to have the prison facilities, and I understand you have to pay the guards, et cetera, et cetera. Well, maybe the answer is a kind of economies of scale. If we send more of these criminals out there, what we'll be able to do is we'll be able to lower the per-person price. But $420,000 a year to house a juvenile offender, that's nuts. It's absolutely Nuts. Jeff, these costs are absolutely insane. I've never understood how building a new facility solves what are personal operational issues that have nothing to do with the facility. Well, I mean, if you build a new facility in Milwaukee County, you want to build it big. You want to build it big enough so that you can now start sending all the people who should be in jail, sending them to the facility. And you also want to build it in such a way that it's not going to cost you $420,000 a year per offender. I mean, is there anybody, what, what are, what are we doing? Are they, are they sleeping in, in giant, like, is, is there gold plated stuff in the bathrooms or things like that? How can you possibly get to $420,000 a year? It's, it's just amazing how this stuff goes. Jeff, these costs are absolutely insane. Yes, they are absolutely insane. Um, um, Jeff, I was also thinking the same thing, that's Northridge, but also thinking about not in my backyard, which is where it would be. Well, I mean, I, I understand. That's it. Trying to build a youth prison is always going to get blowback from neighbors who, who don't want it, it there. That's why you have to pick some space that is available. I mean, maybe you want to send it, maybe you want to put it down in Franklin or something like that, kind of by the House of Correction. But you've got to get this done. We cannot sit around and argue about this. Gee, where should we put it? What's the perfect location? This is a crisis, and it needs to get taken care of. Jeff, the sad thing is, if they had construction documents to start construction, it would still be two years before it's opened, realistically speaking, probably at least three years since nothing is started. Yeah, that's the that is the problem that you have with this. Jeff, I think Northridge is a perfect spot. Do it now. Good pick. Well, I mean, it's a spot. 
And I mean, look, and I understand the people that are objecting. They're saying, all right, you know, we don't want to put the juveniles, we don't want to displace some of the adult criminals who are in the process of trying to transition back into society. You know, we don't want to displace them. Okay, fine. It's, It's just easy. Build a monster monster facility, build a big facility, put it somewhere in Milwaukee County. If you don't like Northridge, come up with some other spots. There's all sorts of spots that I think it would perhaps be appropriate for. Build it big enough to house the juvenile criminals, and then let's send the juvenile criminals there to try to protect ourselves from this whole situation. If if you don't like Northridge, all right, come up with a a plan and get it done. Jeff, I think Milwaukee County should work with Rock County, which has recently allocated a substantial amount of money to build a new jail. There's got to be some efficiencies to scale, to partner and work together. Why build two when you can build one? Well, I'm open to that as well, but you've got to get these people off the streets Period. Let's start um, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Julie. Julie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. What do you think? Well, this is my situation. When you look at the cost of housing a juvenile criminal at $420,000 a year, Um, We have to seriously look at prosecuting these juveniles as adults. Um, I feel strongly that once all of the cases I'm aware of, once you're actually in juvie, you've committed multiple crimes, multiple felonies. um, I think we need to prosecute them as adults. And and I'm not my tax dollars. No. $420,000 Four hundred twenty thousand dollars a year for one, one juvie? No, no. It is. Well, see, see. Here's part of the problem. You, you are. You're right. In order to get sent to like Lincoln Hills, you're talking about the worst of the worst. That that's because the judges bend over backwards to avoid doing something like that to the offenders. So the people, the kids that are there, kids, the offenders that are there really, really deserve to be there. That That's the thing. I guess my point, though, is I think there's all, it, it shouldn't just be the worst of the worst that, that gets into the detention. You know, after you've stolen five or six cars, you know, maybe you're not getting the message and maybe, maybe you should be behind bars a, as well. Maybe you should be punished a bit. So you get the idea that, you know, th- this is a big deal and we want to deter you. We want you to, we, first of all, I guess we're going to get you off the street to stop you from stealing cars from decent people. That's number one. But secondly, maybe we want to convince you that, you know, if, if you keep doing this, What's going to happen is sooner or later you're going to turn 17 or 18, and then you're going to get a gun, and you're going to boost somebody's car, and you're going to carjack them, and then you're going to be treated as an adult, and then you're going to go to prison for 5 or 10 or 15 years. Maybe if we intervene earlier and have some punishment that's attached to this, maybe, just maybe, you can deter people from doing that. I, I understand I understand it's a long shot, but we can't keep doing what we are doing. $420,000 to house a juvenile offender? $1,154 a day? Maybe we should, I don't know, send them down to the Four Seasons in Chicago and put them in a hotel room. It has to be cheaper than that. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Jane, I know you are, you've been doing double duty 
proving what an incredible asset you are around here. You're, you're filling in for John McCure all week. And so just a couple of minutes, you're leaving. You're heading down to the Deer District because you're going to be doing Wisconsin's Afternoon News from the, from the Mecca. Mecca, right, Mecca restaurant. Right. And all. Um, I, I was then paying particular attention to this story that we, you know, we were doing during the news about uh, the temporary tollway zone. So if you're going down there, be, be sure you make care, you're careful where you park. Huh? Very, yes, be very, very careful where you park. Right. And I, there's a little lot that's kind of attached to the Hyatt, but is separate from them. And I have never used this spot hub before. That's what it's called, where you can reserve a parking space. Okay. And so Mercure had, had told me about this. And so I tried that and failed. And then I ended up at this wrong parking lot and I'm trying to show up the, the pass, you know, to the blinky thing. Right. And it's not reading it. And so I ended up taking a ticket and having to have the guy come and help me to get out. And now, now I'm a pro. Now you're now, now you're, I'm a pro. Now you are a pro at that, but it is not a. It's not cheap, right? I mean, it's thirty, it's, thirty-five bucks. Oh, at there. least, yeah, at least this little place is about twenty-two bucks, right? Which I don't think is too bad, but uh, yeah, and I'm thinking that tonight. Can't they just charge whatever they want? Well, uh, yeah, and they pretty much do. Yeah. You know, if I don't own the parking lot. I, well, right, you, you, you right, you. But it, the interesting thing to me is, and and this is what I've never heard. So. For, for people who are going down there, you need to be extremely mindful of this because they, they've added temporary tow-away zones. So streets where you would normally be able to park are, are now no parking. And off got, limits. They're right. off, and, it, and I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the signs. They're marked. So just because you've been going down there and you've parked there, don't assume that you can do this. And it's, a lot of them are on um, you know, Water Street or other streets near Fiserv Forum. And they're, they're clearly marked. But the thing I thought that was most interesting about this is they're not well, first of all, in Milwaukee nowadays, you come out, you find your car gone. You probably don't, your first thought isn't that, that it's been towed. You True, know? Your right. First thought, it's gone. But then they're not towing them to the impound lots. This is, <laughs> this is what I love. They're towing them like up by Marquette and putting them on the streets. <laughs> I, I don't even know where the impound lot is. Do you? Yeah. I you mean, do? yeah, right. It's, it's I'm just downtown, thinking, right. is, it, is it closer for them to just move the cars a couple blocks than take them to the impound lot? Oh, yeah. Lot? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. But I'm, I'm trying to picture, th- this would be a great thing for TV cameras to go see, because I would love to see the process of the, the tow truck hooks it up and then drives it like six blocks and finds like a vacant spot up by Marquette and then parks it on the street. I, <laughs> there's the, your, your car is somewhere near Marquette. Right. Exactly. You know, go check this out. But there, it's they, they've got like a number. If your vehicle is towed, call 414 414- Two eight six twenty seven hundred. I'm I'm just trying to picture you. You you're walking out after the Bucks game, and you're you're happy or, or whatever. They they've won. They're going on to the Eastern Conference Finals. Your car is now gone. You're trying to process all this, and you're eleven o'clock at night or whatever. You're, you're calling this number saying, "What the heck happened to my car?" And well, well, sir, it's on Twenty Seventh Wisconsin or whatever. You better read the signs, folks. You better you, you better read the signs. You better read the signs. Well, Jane, we'll talk to you from uh, from Mecca, but. Uh, uh, it just, I, it really kind of caught my attention, and so this is, it, it, at least you you are warned uh, about this. And I, I guess you know having, I mean, towing cars is, is not necessarily that big a thing, but the, the idea that they're now towing it, you know, just uh, putting them on other streets, but it is a big deal. And by the way, if they tow your car, you still get a fine of like a hundred dollars, is what the citation is. So 
uh, just a word to the wise. If you're going down to participate in this and you see that vacant parking space that's on the street about like two blocks away from the Deer District, my cautionary tale is sometimes if things seem too good to be true, they often are too good to be true. So I, if, I'm not saying don't take that spot, but I would say make sure you, you take a real hard look. And maybe if that spot is open, there's a reason because maybe a little bit earlier down the block, there's a sign that says no parking, temporary tow zone, don't park here. And this is one where I suspect that they are going to be towing a lot of cars. So just be careful. Hey, just one, one of the updates, and again, Jane had that in her top of the hour news. There, there was a plan that, that candidly I was excited about. Um, there's a concert promoter called FPC Live, which is a, a, a division of Live Nation. What they wanted to do is they wanted to build a, a new concert venue down kind of adjacent to, to Summerfest in, in that area. And they, they wanted to take advantage of like the Summerfest parking lots and things. I thought it was a great location and I thought it would really help enhance the city's oh, e- entertainment options and things like that. And and it looks it looked to me like a, a win-win situation all the round. Well, they've called this off. They've said, okay, they're no longer exploring that location, and they're looking for others in the city. They, they won't say why, but I'll, I'll I'll pull back the curtain a little bit on this. The um, there are other concert venue operators in town who do not want competition. And the idea of somebody coming in and building this new live music venue down there in that area with access to the Summerfest lot, they did not want that. So you, you do have some people, admittedly, in that area, some neighbors who said, oh, we, we, we don't want this. And that, that's kind of like the not-in-my-backyard thing. But at least in my opinion, the driving force behind this was some of the other area concert promoters who don't want the competition. Now, th- th- this in some respects, it's kind of short-sighted because th- this, this venue operator is not going to go away. They're going to find another location sort of around the downtown area. One of the location sites that's being talked about is where the Bradley Center used to be. They're, they are committed to building one of these, these venues. It's just not going to be down around Summerfest. And again, it's unfortunate because now it's going to create other sort of parking issues and things like that. But a lot of these concert venues who did not want the competition, they, they might think they've won a, a temporary victory. And, and they, they have. I mean, it's a temporary sort of thing. But I fully expect that you're going to have this new concert venue that's going to be down there. And that that's, that's going to be good for the city because as far as I am concerned, competition is good. And if you've got more venues that are hosting live music and providing more attractions to bring people into that area, that's all the better. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, to rent or to buy? I'll explain. We'll discuss. There are almost 650,000 people whose lives are touched by the Wisconsin Retirement System, which covers employees of the UW system, local police, firefighters, and publicly employed teachers. Join Annex Wealth Management and WTMJ's Steve Scafidi for a special webinar, Understand Your WRS Potential, on Wednesday, May 18th at 4 p.m. Retirement planning can be complex. What does your most recent statement mean for your plan, no matter your age or your retirement status? Learn more as we walk through pension scenarios and answer WRS questions, register for the free webinar at AnnexWealth.com slash events. All right. For, oh gosh, most of my life, 
the American dream has always been to buy your own home. That that was that was kind of the idea. You know, you go to you go to school or you go to work out of high school and you save up some money and you get your down payment and then you know you, you buy your first house and then maybe you know after you live there for a few years you buy a bigger house and you kind of move up. I mean, the, the, but the whole idea has been you you want to to buy a home and for many people, particularly folks like of my age, you know your your home becomes a huge asset in, in many cases. Your, your home is your, your largest, you know, asset that, that you've accumulated. And if things work out correctly, you buy the house at a certain level and then, you know, it, you make improvements or whatever and prices go up and, you know, you, you make money on, on the homes. And that's been true for the longest time. Well, what we're doing dealing with now is it's, it's kind of a different world that, that's out there. Um, home prices up 21% in March, which is the last numbers I have, compared with a year ago. So, you know, a house that would have cost you $200,000 in March of 2021, if you bought it in March of 22, add 20%. All right? Um, Interest rates, at the same time, have also gone up. Um, A year ago, okay, you could, a year ago, March, March of 2021, if you bought that that house for $200,000 and you had the appropriate down payment, you could get an interest rate of 2.9%. Let, let's round up and say three. This year, same loan, 5.27%. Let's round up, say 5.3%. So the, it, it hasn't exactly doubled, but it's almost doubled. So the cost of houses have gone up. The cost of buying the houses have, of course, gone up. And if you need, say, 20% down, that means since the cost of um, the house has gone up 20%, you know, that means that, you know, you're going to have to come up with even more cash to make the down payment. So bigger investment of cash, bigger outlays on the interest expenses, and a, a house that costs a lot more. And so what some economists are doing is they're saying, you know, there, there's always, we could figure out where this, this break-even point was between, like, renting and buying. And historically, you know, what we would find is if you stayed in the house for, I don't know, three or four years and you had reasonable appreciation, you, you would be much better off buying a house. No question about it, because when you rent, well, okay, that that's money that's just out the window. There, there's nothing at the back side of that. You're just paying rent for the privilege of living in a particular place. Now, there, there's advantages to that to the extent that, you know, you don't have to worry about, you know, problems if something happens, you know, you, you call the landlord and presumably they fix it. But in general, renting for most people has just been a temporary sort of thing until you can buy the house. The dynamics are now changing, and that's what I want to talk to you about. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is renting now more attractive than ever when it comes to or or buying a house? Because like I say, typically for most people, the goal has always been, I want to buy a house. That's it. But given the economic numbers, and especially if, if you're not sure where you're going to be for the next two years or something like that, or maybe after two years you're thinking maybe I'm going to get transferred or whatever, you get into a situation where maybe, 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 for the first time in a long time, it makes more sense to rent as opposed to buy. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, renting or buying 
where are you and what is the better deal as we sit here in May of 2022? We discuss in just a minute, 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. Interesting article in the Wall Street Journal that it's talking about how because of all the costs associated with buying a home, if you can even find a home to buy, for the first time in a long time, renting might make sense. As a couple of people are pointing out in the text, you, you also have to mention that, that rents in some areas are also going through the roof, just like prices all over are going through the roof. Okay, let's start with Denise in Oak Creek. Denise, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. My husband and I, actually, it was a year ago today, we made the decision to sell our house. We're in our, our mid to late 50s, uh, empty nesters. Didn't want to have the hassle of home ownership anymore, the yard work, the everything that goes with it. So we sold our home in the summer. We moved to an apartment in Oak Creek um, off of Drexel Town Square. We absolutely love it. Yes, our rent is higher than what our house payments were, but I don't have to worry about a thing. Something goes wrong. I text management. They come and take care of it right away. Yeah. And, and, and that's, I have no, I have no desire to own another home. Really? So that, that's interesting. Now, even though the, the rent you're paying every month is just kind of, I mean, you get the right, you're, you're living there, of course, but that, that that's there's, you get no return on that at all. You're just kind of writing the checks, but it's worth it to you, huh? It, for us, it's worth it. We don't want to have the hassle yeah. of having to take care of stuff, all of that. I'm not even thinking, you know, I, I'm not even sure I'd consider a condo anymore because you're so responsible for the stuff on the inside. Yeah. No, you well, know, and if we don't like where we live, we can get up and move. Well, there, there is right. <laughs> no, thanks to call. You're, you're exactly right, that, and that's that's what the appeal of of this. I mean, of this is. And look, you're talking to somebody who lived for the better part of thirty years in a wonderful home in Whitefish Bay that was about a hundred years old and was in the National Register of Historic Homes, and it, it was wonderful and it was great location. But there was always, it seemed to me, some maintenance issue. And I, I didn't, I didn't get the handyman gene when it was passed out in, in our family. And so it was always like calling people, and you were always like, okay, well, you know, what's what's going to be the issue here? So I understand what you're talking about renting or you know buying a newer sort of condo where you're, you're again you're, you're paying the monthly condo fees and stuff, but at the same time, a lot of that maintenance gets taken care of. Let's talk to Jeremy and Racine. Jeremy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. My wife and I, we rented for over 15 years, and when it got to a point, there were several factors that made us start looking for the house. We were starting to pay upwards of over twelve to $1,300 per month. Right. And if we're going to continue to fork over that kind of money, we might as well purchase our own home. That way we have more flexibility, a lot more stability in regards to not having to worry about a landlord deciding to sell the property and then you have to move out for the new ownerships. It's just a lot of uncertainty. And oftentimes with landlords, it's, it's somewhat difficult to keep them to upgrade your unit mm-hmm. and or maintain them very well. It gets really costly and oftentimes they'll, they'll replace things with subpar. So when you own a home, you've got more flexibility, you can make choices of changing the -hmm. interior to uh, landscaping, things like that. And for us, that was the the big factor. Uh, If I'm going to pay that kind of money, I might as well own my own home. Yeah, and and do you plan to stay in your home then for the foreseeable future? Yeah, right now we're looking at maybe 10, uh, till retirement, and then we're going to reevaluate what we're going to do. We might stay here or we might move further north, get out of the southeastern area to a less populated area maybe. 
Don't know. 20 years from now, a lot of things can change. Jeremy, further north, you realize it's colder as you go north. You're supposed to be going south when you retire. <laughs> Haven't you heard that, my friend? That's during the winter months. Okay. Yeah, the winter months will be south. <laughs> okay, fair, fair enough. Thanks, I'm just, I, it just, I, I, it's not... It's not often you hear people say, I'm thinking about retiring, but I'm, I'm looking to move up north. I'm thinking, huh, wait a second. Normally you're going the other way. Bottom line is, this is a, it really is kind of this huge issue that's out there because, like I say, for the longest time, the, the, the American dream was buy your house. And I think there's, there's still a lot of validity to that, but especially if you're in a sort of a transitory situation or you're, you're wondering where you're going to get the dough for those down payments and stuff— if you start putting the pencil to paper and doing the math, sometimes it might make more sense to rent, at least right now. Well, I, I know that when you hear the fact that it's an election year, a lot of times people just go, oh, my gosh, it's an election year. You know, that means all these ads and that means everybody's going to be talking about the races and stuff. But 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 there are certain values to it being an election year beyond just the fact that political junkies thrive on this. Because every once in a while, you have a situation where the pressure of an election requires an elective official to do something, or at least give the appearance of doing something, that they otherwise would never, ever do, except for the fact that they realize they are on the wrong side of a potent political issue. Enter Governor Tony Evers, who is running for re-election. Tony Evers, I think it would be fair to say that he is, and has demonstrated history of, in general, being soft on crime. The person that he appointed to head his parole commission is somebody who's on record. It's a former Racine County social worker who's on record as saying, we, we need to release people. Okay, that's that's the philosophy of the Evers administration. Let's release People. And I understand you can make an argument for releasing people who've been in jail, but the problem is you know, there, there are some people who just should not be released. And as we've been talking about for the last couple days, the Parole Commission has decided, in its infinite wisdom, that it wants to release this guy who, back in 1997, his name is uh, Douglas Balzowitz, who brutally murdered his 23 year old wife in front of the two- and four-year-old children, and and he, he killed her with a knife. And I've said this before. He stabbed her 42 times. You have to have an incredible amount of rage to kill somebody in that fashion. It's not like dispassionately pulling the trigger on a gun and shooting him, which is horrible. But to take a knife and to just attack somebody like that tells you what a monster you're really dealing with. In any event, he was convicted. He was sentenced to 80 years in prison. The judge at the time, back in 1997, a uh, circuit court judge at the time, now Supreme uh, State uh, Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals judge Diane Sykes, said, "Look, I, I'm sentencing you to 80 years. I have no control over what a future parole board will do, but I am saying that you should never be paroled. This is you should never, never be released early. And of course, so what happens is." Tony Evers comes into office, he appoints his parole commission, and there is a commitment to try to release people on parole. And ultimately, um, they decide with very, very little notice to the victim's family that they are going to release this guy. He's scheduled to be released on Tuesday, and this has been this huge controversy. Evers has been ducking things. He understands how vulnerable he is on this politically. And the breaking news is he has apparently written a letter to his chairman of the Wisconsin Parole Commission asking 
his appointee to reconsider that decision to release this character from from prison. Now, he he can't force him to do that, and you wonder whether or not this is just an effort to try to get some political cover, but... But this is a situation where, in my opinion, there's no way Evers does this if it's not an election year. Because Evers, everything he's been about over the last several years has been, okay, let, let's turn people loose. I, I believe in rehabilitation. I believe in second chances. The guy murdered a woman in front of two small children, and you know she never got to see another sunrise. But Evers has now intervened. Now, here's, here's where some goods can come of this. This parole commission has been intent, I believe, on releasing dangerous people. And I don't know what they're going to do in this particular situation. I don't know if they will reconsider their decision or whether, like I say, this letter is just designed to give Tony Evers political cover because he can then say when the attack ads get run, well, I tried to step in. I did all I can to keep this guy in jail. Well, now, the, the problem was, it's it's his parole commission, and he has created this monster that is releasing you know people. But but here's the bottom line: this case is not necessarily unique. There are other very very dangerous people who are coming up for parole, and it's very very clear based on the messages that have been sent that the intent is to to release these people. I mean, I, I've told this story before. I have some very dear friends who, long time ago, they lost their son, victim of a crime. And they they live in horror that the people who took their son's life are, are going to be paroled. And and candidly, you know, the last couple parole hearings, it's been at least their impression that the parole commission is very, very inclined to release some, some of these murderers because that's just where they are. Now, it hasn't happened yet, but this is the problem that you have, the way the parole commission is presently constituted, that there is this desire to say, okay, well, you know, you, you've served 18 years or you've served 20, you've served 20 years. Okay, here, we'll, we'll, we'll put you back into society and, and we'll monitor you. Well, it's not just a question of whether or not they're releasing dangerous people, although I would argue, you know, somebody who stabbed somebody else 42 times I, I don't know how that that anger that ever that ever goes away but regardless I, I don't care the the idea is you took somebody else's life what why should you be out on the street in the first place so I don't know if this is just political cover or I don't know if anything's going to actually happen or I don't know if if maybe this is going to cause the governor to look at some of the people that he's put on that parole commission and wonder whether we're really going down the right path by releasing dangerous people. But the breaking news is he has now written a letter to the parole commission, his parole commission, suggesting that they might want to relook at this particular situation. My comment would be, well, okay, I, I hope they listen to him, but maybe the governor should have thought of this before he started appointing some of these people to the parole commission in the first place who apparently were intent on releasing dangerous people after they've only served a relative fraction of their sentences. Back with more in just a minute. I have always had a rule with regard to investments, and it's a rule that's kind of served me pretty well. It's been if I don't understand something or the investment can't be explained to me in about two sentences, normally I, I decide to pass on it. That, that's just always been my my philosophy of that stuff. So, okay, you, somebody wants to invest in a, in a company. All right, well, what, what does the company do? What do they make? 
you know, what, what, what is the future of this going to be? Now, I admit that sometimes I don't have the foresight to, value, to imagine, you know, what, what ultimate, gee, I, who, who would have thought that, you know, that there was going to be a demand that people would be willing to spend $4.50 to have a cup of flavored coffee? Oh, oh, okay, that, that, that turned out to be the case. But in general, my instincts have been more right than not. I have been intrigued about this whole notion of cryptocurrency. And of course, that's what everybody is talking about now. Now, if you were watching the Super Bowl, you saw all these at Matt Damon is pushing cryptocurrency. Larry David is pushing cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency in general, and the most prominent one is, is one called Bitcoin. It, it's like going to Las Vegas. Unlike you know, buying shares of, of a company like GE or something that, that makes things or a company that offers a service, Apple. Netflix, you know, whatever. Bitcoin in specific, but cryptocurrency in general, it doesn't do anything. It's a pure bet. You buy a share of cryptocurrency for, I don't know, it was up to like $67,000. You buy a share of Bitcoin for like $67,000. Bitcoin doesn't do anything. It's just, it's a pure gamble. You are betting that somewhere along the line, you will be able to share to sell your share of bitcoin that you paid $67,000 for for like $100,000. So that's that that's the whole idea, but it's not like it's a company that produces anything. It's just that this is is what it is. It's set up as an alternate currency. It's like an an alternative to euros or dollars or, or whatever. But the, all these different crypto companies that are out there, and like I say, Bitcoin is the most prominent one, they, they don't do anything. It's just you are betting that if I buy if I buy a Bitcoin for $67,000, I will be able to sell it to somebody for more than that. And it always, of course, the people who are first in, it always, it, it's always, I guess works out the best. That's kind of what happens in every sort of, I don't know, sort of scheme. You know, you you get in, you know, you buy something at a low rate, and then you sell it to somebody else, and, and you end up making money. So I don't doubt that there's some people who've made money on this cryptocurrency, but I have never, I've just never understood it other than it's it's a pure gamble. And if I want to engage, for me at least, in a pure gamble, I can go to Las Vegas because at least there you get a drink and a show along with it, you know. But cryptocurrency isn't like that. So I know we've talked about this on the program before, and people have said, oh, Jeff, you don't understand it. This is this, and it's which I say, yeah, you're right, I don't understand it. But this is going to be the next wave, and people are going to be making all sorts of money because Bitcoin or, or whatever the various cryptocurrency is, this is going to be the alternative, and it's going to be this new monetary system that's out there, and it's really popular. Etc. Etc. Well, all right. There's no secret the stock market has been hammered over the course of the last four months, but the hammering the stock market taking is nothing compared to what's been going on with cryptocurrency. Um, let's see. Here's the story I'm looking at in the Wall Street Journal. More than a trillion dollars in crypto just vanished in the last six months. Traders' flight from risky investments have halved the price of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, wiping out more than $1 trillion worth of digital money since November. Wild swings are fairly common with cryptocurrencies, but even seasoned investors were left reeling as Bitcoin dropped 30% over a seven-day losing streak that just ended as another 
you know, a cryptocurrency stablecoin, one part of the crypto world that touted its stability, unexpectedly crashed. All right. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, again, I, I understand that there's always kind of these, these hip and trendy things out there. And when we've talked about this before, I, I've always gotten some people who just feel very, very strongly that cryptocurrency is the wave of the future and that people like me who have decided to kind of sit on the sidelines with no intention of getting involved, we're going to be regretting it five or ten years ago from now because this is this is like finding, you know, Amazon or, or Nike or Facebook or, you know, Twitter when it first opened up and you get in on the ground floor and you're gonna make a fortune. I'm still convinced that I, I Look, if people, if this is what happens, I, I say go with God. And I'm glad for you if you've been willing to take the risk. But I got to tell you, I, I just, there is no way in the world that I would, that I would ever be investing in something that doesn't make anything, that doesn't produce anything, that's value is completely dependent on just what somebody else might think it's worth. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk about cryptocurrency for a minute. Am I missing the boat? Am I going to... Am I going to say five or ten years from now, boy, you know, I I just, I, I should have taken it all and I should have put it in cryptocurrency and I'd be just, you know, we, we'd be living the life, living the, the high life. I don't think so. And as a matter of fact, anybody that bought cryptocurrency in the last six months would probably be saying, you know, I, I wish I had stayed out of this. We discuss in just a minute. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and text line um let's see um um i can't figure out why this has to be an issue or why people think it needs to be developed i have no need for it and don't trust it people can live a cashless life as some people do now but there's some actual money somewhere to back up our transaction at that point i think this is just backed up by people who just have the need to be trendy and live outside the box but i think it's very risky for society as a whole i got a i was i i know somebody who early on it wasn't bitcoin but it was another one of the cryptocurrencies and 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 he as a lark the 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 particular cryptocurrency that they were looking at was like it was a penny and so i, I think you know he he invested like a hundred dollars as kind of a of a lark and then it actually went up a little bit and then they immediately sold it and they they made a little bit of money but of course they were in they were in on the ground floor of this whole thing and they got out and they made a little bit of money and to me like i say if that's if that's what you're doing it, that to me, that's kind of like going to Las Vegas and saying, "Okay, well, I'm I'm going to play the Wheel of Fortune slot machine, and if I win, I I win, and if I lose, that that's fine. It's just it's kind of the the entertainment value that's out there. But the idea that okay, we're we're going to actually put a significant chunk of our of our investments or our, our nest egg or whatever in something that is purely, completely, and totally speculative. And like I say, when I say that, it's it's not even like it's a situation where, I mean, I appreciate that some of the tech companies, for example, that are getting hammered recently, in many cases, they're, they're speculative. Are people going to be interested in this technology that we're developing? Will people will people pay money to, to stream things over the Internet? Will Netflix succeed? But at least they're offering a service that, that's out there. There's something 
tangible that they're going to be offering. And then you can evaluate it and you can say, okay, well, is this something that I I think is going to make any sort of sense at all? Whereas with cryptocurrency, completely and, and totally different. Now, look, I understand that some people believe that this is the wave of the future, at which point in time, I say, like I say, go with God. And and I hope, I hope for your sake, five or 10 years from now, you know, you're right, I'm wrong, and you've got all the money in the world. I do, though, go back to this whole basic premise that, you know, um, what do we always say about the stock market? That is that bulls make money, bears make money, and pigs get slaughtered. Well, for people who are deciding to jump in into this because it's hip and trendy, All I'm saying is just look at what's happened in the crypto market over the course of the last several months, and you say, okay, well, will will it come back? Well, maybe it'll come back. On the other hand, you got to be thinking, you know, maybe the glory days are over, and maybe the, the people that made the money were those people that were in on the ground floor, not the people that are getting in now. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Well, the Deer District is going to be hopping tonight. It is, of course, Game 6, and I, I, I think this one is a key. If, if the Bucks are able to knock off Boston now, they, of course, win the series. If they lose tonight, um, having to win a Game 7 in Boston on Sunday becomes a much more challenging thing. So it's, it's there. It's there for them. And as I've said before, I think that... Uh, if if I understand that, that Giannis was not voted the most valuable player in the NBA this year, to me, that's just cluelessness by the by the writers. I mean, I think candidly, if you said, you know, you, you're starting an NBA team and you get to pick one player, who, who wouldn't take Giannis? I mean, the guy is just, just a force of nature. And if he continues to develop, he's certainly going to go down as, if not the greatest of all time, one of the greatest of all time. And anytime you got Giannis on the team, um, I'm telling you, you've got a chance to win. If you're going down there tonight, you want to be aware of some things. If you don't have tickets, the Bucks are are limiting the the Deer District Plaza. They're limiting it to a capacity of 11,000 fans. Um, now, the other night that they had about 5,000 people. So, I mean, 11,000 is a lot, but there are going to be limits that are there. The watch party opens up at 4.30, which is about two hours before the tip-off. And, of course, tonight's going to be a really nice night. But the point is, if you're planning to do that, you probably want to go down earlier. As we were talking about, also, be really, really careful where you park because a lot of the streets in the area around Fiserv, they've got temporary no-parking signs that are up. And what they're doing is they're pretty aggressively towing cars, and you don't want to have your car towed away. So if you're close to the Deer District and you find a spot on the street, you go, oh, this is this is really great. I'm close. All I'm saying, I'm not saying don't take it. I'm just saying make sure you check to make sure that this isn't one of those temporary no parking areas because you don't want to come out after the game and find out that your car is gone. So um, that's the idea. 4.30 is when the, the plaza starts. You also have to be, um, you're, you're going to have to go through a magnetometer before entering the watch party and no bags are allowed. Only wallets smaller than four by six by one are permitted. So it's going to be a, a big time, going to be a great time. And if the Bucks win, Bucks in six, just going to be just a tremendous party downtown. So hope you enjoy it. All right. A story from the world of sports. And I'm interested if you think they made the right decision. The, the NFL schedule came out yesterday and it's been known for a while, but for the first time, the Packers are going to play overseas. They're scheduled to play the New York Giants on October 9th at Wembley, Wembley Stadium. 
Now, I mean, to to get to to London, it's I mean, it, it's a big deal. It's an eight hour flight. So what they do is they say to the teams that play in London, or I guess there's one in Germany this week, this year too. They say to the teams, "Here's the deal: if you want, you can take your bye week." Now, every NFL team gets one bye week during the, what, 18, 17 regular season games, so it's an 18-week season. Every NFL team gets a bye week. And what they say is, if you want, you can take your bye week the week after you, you travel overseas. The idea being, you know, otherwise you play in a game on Sunday, there's this big time change, you shift back, you got to fly eight hours or 10 hours or whatever it is to get back into the country. So if you want to just rest and stuff, you can, if you want to, you can choose to have that your bye week. Now for the Packers, they're playing overseas early in the season. It's week five. They had the chance if they wanted to have their bye week on week six. They said no. They didn't want to do it. They're going to take their bye week, and they've been assigned. It's like week 14, which is, if not the last week of byes, it's like the second last. So they're going to be way at the end of the byes before they decide to take it. And they're going to take their chances. I think after they play in London, they come back and they play the New York Jets at Lambeau um, the following week. And they've said, well, rather than having extra time to rest from our trip, we'd rather just come back and get that game over with, and we want our buy later on. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are they making the right choice? Would they have been better off saying, okay, you know, we've got all these travel concerns and things like that, we'll, we'll take the buy early, or are they better off in waiting till essentially the, the end of the, the buy period, one of the last weeks in the NFL schedule, to take their buy? Are they doing the right thing? 855-616-1620. I have a very strong feeling about this, but if you were... If you were the general manager, if you were the Packers brain trust, would you have taken the buy early after the London trip instead of waiting till almost the end of the season? 855-616-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this and we'll discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, so the Packers play week five. It's a 17-game season, and it's over 18 weeks. There's a bye week. Packers play in London for the first time Week five, they play the New York Giants. They had the option, if they wanted, of taking that following week as a bye week to kind of recover from jet lag or whatever. Um, They passed on it. So their bye week is towards the end of the season. It's week 14. Did they do the right thing by pushing it off? 855-616-1620. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. I think they made the right decision. Uh, Going from not from being a football player, but from travels, before, I'd rather do the heavy lifting and come back and then get all that done with and then recombobulate afterwards. So I think they made the right choice. You come back, you're still kind of hot from uh, playing games. Uh, just keep on going and get it done with and go from there. Yeah, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Okay, 855-616-1620. Let's talk to John. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey Jeff, how's it going? Good. I I totally think that they uh, they did the right thing because you know towards the end of the season players are beat up. You want to recoup, you want to get healthy again, and then you want to be healthier when you get towards the playoffs. 
So to be able to get healthier at the end of the season when you do get into the playoffs is way better than taking that bye week early, I think. I, you know, th- thanks, Nicole. I, I could not agree with you more. I, I guess I, I'm looking at this, and, and first of all, l- let us assume— you know, anything can happen, but let's assume that the Packers are going to be a, a contender for the Super Bowl again. That's what a lot of us think is going to be the case. So when when do you, first of all, when do you want a bye week? Do you want it early on in the season when your players are still relatively, you know, healthy and fresh? Or do you want it in the last couple of weeks of the season when chances are you're going to get people that are more nicked up, banged up, whatever? Maybe you got players that are coming back from injury. I, I think you always want to have it later than, than sooner. So, I mean, I, I just think as general in general, that's it. Now, I don't know whether or not, and I doubt that the Packers knew who their opponent was going to be the, the week after they, they were, I mean, they knew they were playing the Giants in London. I don't know if they knew for sure who their opponent was going to be. And, and look, and I understand that any team can beat any other team on any given Sunday. But at the same time, the, the Jets, the New York Jets are a hot mess, and, and they've been a hot mess for years and years. And I understand they dra- had a lot of first-round draft picks, and maybe that's going to change. But you got to imagine that by week or not, the Packers are going to be kind of prohibitive favorites playing at home at Lambeau Field. So the way it's worked Worked out. If you say, gee, would you rather save that bye week till a couple weeks before the playoffs to get people healthy and rested, etc., or would you rather, you know, just delay the New York Jets game? To me, it's it's a no-brainer. You come back. You play the, the New York Jets. Now, maybe, you know, if the Jets have this great, if the Packers come out flat or something, you know, maybe there'll be a lot of second guessing. But to me, this could not have worked out better for for the Packers. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Mark. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call today. Sure. You know, I agree with you, but there's one more thing. We live in Wisconsin, not Florida or Texas. So when do most of the NFL players get hurt? They get hurt early or they get hurt late. And one of the things guys get hurt late, especially in Milwaukee or in Wisconsin, because it potentially could be pretty darn cold and miserable out there. So I think that compounding with this is a great time to rest some of the best players in football, especially your Aaron Rodgers, I think this was a great move for the Packers. Yeah, th- thanks for on, on so many different levels. Now, the Packers would tell you that they've they believe that the fact that they've got that home field advantage, they they want people coming to Lambeau Field at the end of the season. And so, they, I mean, they, they're not worried about that. They want those cold-weather outdoor games. They think that they're a team that's built to, to do well in that type of environment, and sometimes that's been proven right. Nowadays, I'm not sure how much of an advantage that, that is. Playing at Lambeau is clearly an advantage. I don't know about the cold-weather stuff. But regardless, I just, again, I go back to what I just said. I think I don't think that this could have worked out better for the Packers. Now, I don't know that they knew exactly when the bye week was going to be when they said, okay, let's push this off. And I don't know, and I don't think they probably knew that their opponent the following week after the London trip was going to be the New York Jets. But given that it was the New York Jets, and given the fact that you want, as a general rule, the bye week later, this this broke really well. And I hope this is just the first of a series of things that break really well for the Packers over the course of the next you know, several months. Brewers, legitimate chance for the World Series. Packers, legitimate chance for the Super Bowl. And the Bucks, 
Well, all right, the Bucks got a chance to move to the Eastern Conference Finals tonight, and after that, who knows what could happen. So very glad to have you with us. Pop Culture Corner coming up in just a couple minutes. Uh, let me just let, get, get to a couple things that we, before the weekend, I just wanted to discuss briefly before we move into Pop Culture Corner. One of the breaking news stories is the chairman of the state nursing board has resigned in protest over a decision that Tony Evers made. That this has, I'm, I'm surprised this hasn't gotten as much attention um, as, as I think it might have otherwise deserved. The state Senate and the state assembly had passed bills. It was Senate Bill 394. And what that would do is it would create a new license for uh, licensed practical nurses, advanced practice registered nurses. And it would essentially allow them to operate as, as doctors in many sort of areas. It would allow them to operate um, with, without having a contract with a particular doctor or without having to operate under a, a doctor's supervision. By operate, I mean practice you know, their nursing skills as opposed to not operate, as opposed to like doing surgery or something like that. And this is something that the requirements were relaxed during the pandemic because the idea was, hey, we've got a doctor shortage and this is the way that we can make sure people still get medical treatment um, without you know, having to you know, travel hundreds of miles or 100 miles to find a doctor or something like that. And it was something that was particularly acute in some of the rural areas where there's not as many doctors. So this bill would have essentially codified what, what had been going on since the start of COVID. And it would sit, have said, under certain circumstances, if you're a licensed practical nurse, uh, what you can do is you can take extra training courses. You can get, um, again, an extra certification, which will allow you to perform certain functions, not all functions, but certain functions that doctors can, in fact, perform. Uh, had a lot of widespread support for this initiative. As you might expect, though, there was some opposition, particularly some of the the doctors' groups who, who didn't want this, I think, in part because, you know, they didn't want the competition. The argument was, well, okay, this is going to you know, impact uh, on patient quality or stuff like that, to which the argument was, well, you know, we were doing this during the pandemic and, and you didn't see any of these stories. And again, why why not allow the nurses with appropriate training to essentially fill in some of the things that the doctors end up doing? I mean, is, is, it's, is there really a problem with that? This would expand medical access. It would also argue, arguably perhaps make medical care little cheaper in some areas. Uh, but the, the governor in this case, I think, kind of caved in to the demands of some of the medical establishment and decided to um, veto this particular thing. Um, the nursing group said, look, this would have increased patient access to quality, safe and economical care in Wisconsin, particularly in underserved areas, whether it's underserved urban areas or whether it's rural and tribal areas. And so, you know, Evers' response was, well, you know, I, I think that this could ultimately hurt patient care. Not too many people actually believe that. But in any event, what happened as a result of this is the chairman of the nursing board resigned over this the other day, said, look, this is this is just not good for health care. And so um, I'm done. 
the uh, resignation letter said to Tony Evers, you and your administration know very little about the day-to-day work of advanced practice nurses in Wisconsin. I can no longer continue when I know that the support of the state government leadership is not supportive of its 90,000 nurses. And of course, as we've pointed out here, um, this, the rule, there's been an emergency rule in place that's allowed advanced practice nurses to work more independently during the COVID-19 pandemic, and there's no negative changes in patient outcomes. In addition, more than 25 states have already reduced uh, barriers to practice. So this was, I think this was less about patient health and more about the governor not wanting to antagonize a very powerful doctor's lobby, and so you have what you have. The other story I wanted to talk about, and I wish we had more time. During the pandemic, one of the hottest businesses going was was Peloton, you know, the, the bikes, fancy bikes and stuff. And I've talked about this before. I, I never understood why people were spending $4,000 on exercise bikes that you could go dick sporting goods and buy for, like, uh, 200 but but that's fine that's how people decided to spend the money and i i understand it wasn't just the bike but then you know you had the subscription service and things like that anyhow peloton white hot and the mistake peloton made is people assumed apparently the people running the company assumed that this demand that was created at the height of the pandemic would always exist matter of fact they committed plans to spend 400 million dollars to build a new factory in ohio to produce the bikes Well, the reality is that people are tired of Peloton. Uh, Revenue fell 24% in the first quarter. They had their first year-over-year decline since becoming a publicly traded company. Um, Everybody apparently is looking at this. They've now had a a changeover in um, management all because they made this huge mistake that some companies make that they think that, okay, something that we're doing now is always going to work. They were incredibly, incredibly successful during the pandemic. Matter of fact, they couldn't keep up with demand, but they thought that, oh, this is going to be the way it always is. And of course, once the pandemic ended, people said, well, okay, I I can go back to the gyms or I can exercise outdoors, and I don't need to drop $4,000 on a fancy exercise bike, and people are voting with their wallets, and they're not buying $4,000 fancy exercise bikes, and Peloton um, struggling to the point that apparently they now had to take out a $750 million loan just to get them through this. Will Peloton be a company in the future? Probably. But um, management, I think, made a mistake in figuring that just because something is hot this year, that it's going to be always hot. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. Like the big voice guy says, it's Pop Culture Corner time, brought to you by Palermo's Pizza, delicious frozen pizzas made right here in Wisconsin for over 55 years. Palermo's is Wisconsin's hometown pizza, and as we do during this segment every week, we have got a 
Palermo's Pizza Prize Package. Try saying that three times fast. That we will be giving away to one lucky caller. My producer takes care of all that. He gets to decide who it is. But you get two uh, free Palermo's pizzas and a Palermo's pizza cutter and a freezer bag and uh, Post-it cubes, all sorts of stuff, um, just for participating in Pop Culture Corner. All right, so what do we do? Well, if you've never heard this segment before, this is the point in time where in the week we, we kind of stop the heavy lifting, lifting and we stop talking about what's going on in the Ukraine and what's going on in the economy and what's going on at the border and what's going on in politics. And we have a little bit of fun, hopefully, as we try to go into the weekend. And sometimes we talk about TV and sometimes we talk about movies and sometimes we talk about sports. And actually, I entertain the idea of talking about sports today, given how great a player Giannis is. But Maybe we'll save that for a little bit later on in the playoffs. And sometimes we talk about food and travel. It just it kind of depends on something that, that triggers an interest of mine in the course of the week, and I hope I can trigger an interest in you. Well, earlier this week on, on Twitter, and you can follow me, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I, I sent out a, a tweet, and it was actually kind of based on a, an editorial that was in the Wall Street Journal that referred to Joe Biden as President Costanza. And, and it, it referenced a Seinfeld segment, and I, I put up a clip with that, where, where the George character, the Jason Alexander character, if you're familiar with, with Seinfeld, he's he's just talking about like how everything he's done in life has been wrong. You know, it always just makes the bad choices, bad instincts. And the Seinfeld, Jerry Seinfeld character says, well, maybe, maybe you should rethink this. Do the opposite. Just whatever your instincts say, just do the opposite. And he starts doing that, and it's an hysterical segment. You know, he starts, okay, well, normally I, I wouldn't do this, and he does it, and it all works out. It's just, it's really, really a very, very funny episode of Seinfeld. And it reminded me of just how very entertaining I thought that was. Um, piece in the New York Times today about the late comedian George Carlin, who— um, of course, is famous in Milwaukee because he was arrested at Summerfest for the seven words that you can't say on TV and that you can't say at Summerfest. And I, I've told this story before, and it's honest to goodness true. I was not at the Ice Bowl in 1967. People always, everybody claims to have been at the Ice Bowl. I wasn't at the Ice Bowl. I was at Summerfest the night that George Carlin got arrested. And, you know, of course, none of us in the crowd knew that he had been arrested until you saw the story in the morning paper after that. But, um, you know, I, I just, George Carlin was just absolutely hysterical as a comedian, just like Jerry Seinfeld and Jason Alexander are hysterical. And there's a new HBO documentary that's going to be airing next week. I think it's next Friday and Saturday on, on HBO, two-part a documentary on, on George Carlin. And it follows his career as kind of a regular mainstream stand-up comedian into kind of the counterculture, you know, hippie guy that he became, you know, later in life. And then, you know, how he kind of resurrected his career where he was also, you know, doing movies and things like that. So I'm really looking forward to seeing the special on George Carlin because I just— George Carlin's politics weren't mine, but that didn't mean doesn't mean he just wasn't funny as heck, and, and I enjoyed it. So I was thinking for Pop Culture Corner today— especially given the fact that we're going into, you know, a weekend, the weather's going to be nice, everybody's going to be in a good mood. I call this segment, He Makes Me Laugh. I want to talk about comedians, male or female, don't mean to be sexist here, but a comedian 
who just flat out makes you laugh, your favorite comedian. It could be something from modern times. It could be something or someone from five years ago. It could be a comedy duo. It could be people, I don't know, you know, going back to the 50s or 60s. But the category is, it makes me laugh, your all-time favorite comedian um, individual or, or like I say, maybe it's a comedy duo, you know, maybe it's, it's a, a team or something. Your favorite comedians, they make you laugh. 855-616-1620. Back to discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. The category this week for Pop Culture Corner, which is sponsored and presented by Palermo's Pizza, is It Makes Me Laugh. There's a new HBO special coming out on the life and times of George Carlin, who is one of my favorite comedians of all time. My question is, who is it that makes you laugh? 855-616-1620. Jeff, let's see, Tim from upstate New York texts, Steve Martin. Yeah, I um I remember especially Steve Martin in his like Saturday Night Live days when he do the things like King Tut and all, just absolutely hysterical. There's no question about it. Jeff, for me, it it's Don Rickles. Saw him twice at Potawatomi. Yeah, you know Don Rickles was just absolutely hysterical, especially like in the Tonight Show heyday. I saw him later on in in life. He passed away a year or two ago. But I, I you know and. And candidly, he, he, he was kind of slipping and stuff. But I imagine Don Rickles, to see him live in his heyday, would have been something just just tremendous. Let's talk to Bill in Manitowoc. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Jeff, how are you? And number one, Robin Williams. Yeah. I, I can remember when Ron, Robin Williams, right either before, like the Mork from Ork thing, and or right afterwards, his stand-up stuff, they used to show specials on HBO. The guy was manic. He was just, it was just, and it was just the stream of consciousness. He was incredibly creative, and it was just laugh out loud funny. Yes. Terrific, man. Yeah, no, th- thanks for calling. And, you know, the other thing about Robin Williams that I, I think, I guess I was really surprised with is, I mean, I, I knew him as this, this great kind of manic comedian and stuff and this incredible improvisational guy. But, I mean, then you saw, like, like some of his turns in acting, you know, when he was goodwill hunting and some of these things. He was also a, a very serious actor a, as well, or at least, you know, he, he you know certainly played that, that part really, really well. Just an incredibly talented guy who uh, left us way too soon. Let's talk to Steve. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello. Hi, Steve. Oh, hi. Um, I wanted to say we used to love to watch the Dean Martin comedy roast. Right. And the best part was when they'd all start to go after each other. But my favorite person on those comedy roasts was Foster Brooks. Oh. That guy was incredible. Right. Uh, thanks for calling him. Foster Brooks, of course, his shtick was to, to play the, the drunk guy. And so, you know, but he was, a lot of people just absolutely loved him. And, you know, you can still catch some of those Dean Martin comedy roasts on uh, YouTube and stuff. And, and they, they age pretty well. I mean, again, you're, you're talking about people who were stars a lot of times in the 60s and 70s and all. But, you know, they were just tremendous entertainers. Let's talk to, let's see, we've got Cheryl. Cheryl? You're on WTMJ. Oh, hi, Jeff. Hi, Cheryl. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you for calling. Um, my favorite was Carol Burnett, along with Harvey Corman and Tim Conway. It it was just 
the night we look forward to watching the Carol Burnett show, right. and the best part is that all of those skits were live. Yeah. And they tried so hard not to laugh, and many times they did, but that was the ultimate for, for us, was to watch the Carol Burnett show. I'm aging myself. Well, I no, that's a, no, but it was entertaining. Matter of fact, she was, you know, she was just in Milwaukee um, at the beginning of this month, I think. She I did, know. You know, she did that, the show down at the Riverside. Cheryl, you can't go wrong with Carol yes. Burnett, and you are our Palermo's prize package winner for, for today. So awesome. thanks for calling. Okay. Okay, thank you. Have a great weekend. Good Bye. enough. Okay, that's it. How about that? That's great. 855-616-1620. More packages to give away every week, courtesy of Palermo's. Let's talk to Dawn. Dawn, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Okay. Oh, my uh, favorite comedian, I, I went through the years. I grew up with Jerry Lewis. Loved him. Money for Home with Dean Martin. Loved it. Um, Steve Martin, like you said, Saturday Night Live. And then Louis Anderson, yeah, of late in baskets, yeah. love that series. Yeah, no, it's it, it's that's that, no, you can't go wrong with. Thanks for the call, Don. You can't go wrong with with any of those people. All incredibly entertaining. Um, I just, you know, it, it's funny. I, I think of this, and there's so many. There's so many people that just kind of made me laugh. I'll go back to the text of the calls in just a second. I mean, I remember as a kid. Bill Cosby, and I, I understand that you, you've got the, the whole issues with Cosby in the last several years, but you know some of those comedy albums, and I'm old enough to remember that comedy albums, some of those, Bill Cosby was just absolutely hysterical in, in his particular time. George Carlin, I would lump into that. Cheech and Chong, I mean, when I was a kid, you'd get these Cheech and Chong records, and you'd play them, but you wouldn't play them too terribly loud because you didn't want your mom and dad to hear them, but they were just absolutely hysterical as well. He just absolutely made me laugh. Okay, let's go to some text here. Jeff, I absolutely loved John Ritter. I thought he was um, laugh-out-loud funny. Yes, again, somebody who just was taken way too soon. Uh, Jeff, for me, Jonathan Winters. Jonathan Winters, if you ever... If you ever get a chance to go back and look at some of the Jonathan Winters stuff on on YouTube, you you should do it, because Jonathan Winters was a comedy genius. Matter of fact, Robin Williams, who was talking about, he, I mean, he was, Robin Williams idolized Jonathan Winters and and based a lot of his career on um, that. Jeff, I love Jim... um, Jim Gaffigan, I think he's absolutely hysterical as far as current guys go. Jeff, for me, it's got to be Stephen Wright. Very smart, clever insights into his life. Love his delivery. You know, to that extent, I also, I, I like, you know, Jeff Foxworthy. I, I mean, I can remember Foxworthy when he do his, like, you might be a redneck jokes. And I, I they, they got to be a little bit predictable, but they still cracked me up. I mean, you know, if you've ever taken a beer to a job interview, you just might be a redneck. If you've ever been on TV more than once saying, I saw the tornado coming over the trailer park, you might just be a redneck. I just always loved it. Jeff, for me, um, it was Lucille Ball. Yeah, she was before a lot of our times and stuff, but there's no question. I think Lucille Ball was absolutely just revolutionary on so many levels. Jeff, for me, Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah, a lot of people are saying Rodney Dangerfield. Again, um, I, I think maybe some people just, if you're a certain age, you just know Rodney Dangerfield from like a couple of the movies like Caddyshack or um, 
uh, or a couple of the others that he did back to school. I think that was one. But again, if you get a chance to go onto YouTube, watch some of the Rodney Dangerfield routines. It's side-splittingly funny, just side-splittingly funny. Let's talk to Joanne. Joanne, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Joanne. Uh, did you say Joanne? It's I Joni. Did. Oh, I'm sorry. Joni. That's oh, and that's right. I yeah, misread. Joni from Granite. Hi, Joni. That's all right. That happens all the time. Anyway, hi. Um, I think I'd have to say my favorite was probably Tim Conway. Oh, I I remember Tim Conway when he started off on like McHale's Navy, where he played that role, and then he was in a couple other things, and then of course, you know, made a career on the Carol Burnett show as well. Great, funny guy. Right. No, there's right, no, especially when they did that one with a fold-up cot and whatever and so forth at a hospital bed and so forth. I mean, he was hilarious. They, they were. I mean, absolutely. No, Tim Conaway is just is just absolutely great. Let's see, a number of people are saying uh, Carol Burnett. Um, a lot of people with, with Rodney Dangerfield. And again, I, I think he's very underappreciated, especially by, by folks now. Really funny. Jeff, for me, it was Adam Sandler. Um, no question about it. A couple people correctly mentioning um, Richard Pryor. If Richard Pryor's humor is not for everybody. There's no question about it. And it's definitely hard R-rated. But you look, and and Richard Pryor was definitely a troubled soul. But at the same time, if you go back and and you watch, you know, some of the the things that he did and you watch some of the movies that he made, it's just he's really, really, really incredibly funny as long as you're, again, as long as you're willing to understand that it's going to be a very, very mature show, and there, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, again stuff that by today's day and age you, you couldn't do shows like that. There's just no question about it. But back then, it's what he did. Number of people are mentioning Dave Chappelle, who I, I think again got a little bit of controversy because he's politically incorrect, but at the same time, a lot of people just absolutely loved him as well. Bob Newhart, yep. Eddie Murphy, yeah. Ed, I mean, Eddie Murphy, I mean, people think of him as an actor, but Eddie Murphy, you know, did stand up and does stand up as well. You know, no question about that at all. Um, here's going back into the Wayback Machine. Really enjoyed Red Skelton. Yeah, that's a name, of course, I think, from the past as well. A lot of people that are out there, Jeff, for me, it would be Chris Farley and Larry David. Well, I mean, of course, Larry David was the brainchild behind uh, Seinfeld together with Jerry Seinfeld. And some people are mentioning Seinfeld as well. Bottom line is, whoever your choice is, they make you laugh. And I think sometimes in this world, we we need to take a step back and, and laugh. So whether it's a current comedian or whether it's somebody from the past, that's one of the great things about YouTube and being able to stream. You can kind of take a few minutes, punch it in, punch in Rodney Dangerfield, pick a routine. I guarantee that you will be laughing. And there's so many other great comedians that are like that. Okay, that's it. Pop Culture Corner for this week. We're back next week with another edition. In just a moment, we're going to go down to Mecca and find out what Melissa and Jane have on their minds for their show. Stick around. Thanks for participating in Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Tune in next week as Jeff Wagner explores another pop culture topic.